Chapters 28 and 29 of A Comic History of the United States. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Allison Hester of Athens, Georgia. A Comic History of the United States by Bill Nye. Chapter 28. Last Year of the Disagreeable War general grant was now in command of all the union troops and in eighteen sixty four to sixty five the plan of operation was to prevent the junction of the confederates general grant seeking to interest the army in virginia under general lee and general sherman the army of general joseph e johnston in georgia sherman started at once and came upon johnston located on almost impregnable hills all the way to atlanta the battles of Dalton, Resaca, Dallas, Lost Mountain, and Kennesaw Mountain preceded Johnston's retreat to the entrenchments of Atlanta July 10th, Sherman having been on the move since early May 1864. Jefferson Davis, disgusted with Johnston, placed Hood in command, who made three heroic attacks upon the Union troops, but was repulsed. Sherman now gathered 15 days' rations from the neighbors, and throwing his forces across Hood's line of supplies, compelled him to evacuate the city. The historian says that Sherman was entirely supplied from Nashville via railroad during this trip, but the author knows of his own personal knowledge that there were times when he got fresh provisions along the road. This expedition cost the Union Army 30,000 men and the Confederates 35,000. Besides, Georgia was the Confederacy, so far as arms, grain, etc. were concerned. Sherman attributed much of his success to the fact that he could repair and operate the railroad so rapidly. Among his men were Yankee machinists and engineers, who were as necessary as courageous fighters. We are held here during many priceless hours, said the general, because the enemy has spoiled this passenger engine. Who knows anything about repairing an engine? I do, said a dusty tramp in blue. I can repair this one in an hour. What makes you think so? Well, I made it. This was one of the strong features of Sherman's army. Among the hundred thousand who composed it, there were so many active brains and skilled hands that the toot of the engine caught the heels of the last echoing shout of the battle learning that hood proposed to invade tennessee sherman prepared to march across georgia to the sea and if necessary to tramp through the atlantic states hood was sorry afterwards that he invaded tennessee he shut thomas up in nashville after a battle with schofield and kept the former indoors for two weeks when all of a sudden thomas exclaimed air air give me air and came out, throwing Hood into headlong flight, when the Union cavalry fell on his rear, followed by the infantry, and the 40,000 Confederates became a scattered and discouraged mob spread out over several counties. The burning of Atlanta preceded Sherman's march, and though one of the saddest features of the war was believed to be a military necessity those who declare war hoping to have a summer's outing thereby may live to regret it for many bitter years on november sixteenth sherman started his army moving in four columns 
constituting altogether a column of fire by night and a pillar of cloud and dust by day kilpatrick's cavalry scoured the country like a mass meeting of ubiquitous little black tennessee hornets in five weeks sherman had marched three hundred miles had destroyed two railroads had stormed fort McAllister, and had captured savannah on the fifth and sixth of may eighteen sixty four occurred the battle of the wilderness near the old battleground of chancellorsville no one could describe it for it was fought in the dense woods and the two days of useless butchery with not the slightest signs of civilized warfare sickened both armies and with no victory for either they retired to their entrenchments grant instead of retreating however quietly passed the flank of the confederates and started for spotsylvania courthouse where a battle occurred may eighth through the twelfth here the two armies fought five days without any advantage to either it was at this time that grant sent his celebrated dispatch stating that he quote, proposed to fight it out on this line if it took all summer end quote. finally he sought to turn lee's right flank june eighth the battle of cold harbor followed this movement the union forces were shot down in the mire and brush by lee's troops now snugly in out of the wet behind the cold harbor defenses one historian says that in twenty minutes ten thousand yankee troops were killed though badeau whose accuracy in counting dead has always been perfectly marvelous admits only seven thousand in all grant now turned his attention towards petersburg but lee was there before him and entrenched so the union army had to entrench this only postponed the evil day however things now shaped themselves into a siege of richmond with petersburg as the first outpost of the besieged capital on the 30th of July, 8,000 pounds of powder were carefully inserted under a Confederate fort, and the entire thing hoisted in the air, leaving a huge hole, in which a few hours afterwards, many a boy in blue met his death. For in the assault which followed the explosion, the Union soldiers were mowed down by the concentrated fire of the Confederates. The Federals threw away 4,000 lives here on the eighteenth of august the weldon railroad was captured which was a great advantage to grant and though several efforts were made to recapture it they were unsuccessful general early was delegated to threaten washington and scare the able officers of the army who were stopping there at that time talking politics and abusing grant he defeated general wallace at monocacy river and appeared before fort stevens one of the defenses of washington july eleventh had he whooped right along instead of pausing a day somewhere to get laundry work done before entering washington he would easily have captured the city reinforcements however got there ahead of him and he had to go back he sent a force of cavalry into pennsylvania where they captured chambersburg and burned it on failure of the town trustees to pay five hundred thousand dollars ransom general sheridan was placed in charge of the troops here and defeated early at winchester riding twenty miles in twenty minutes as per poem at fisher's hill he was also victorious he devastated the valley of shenandoah 
to such a degree that a crow passing the entire length of the valley had to carry his dinner with him it was however at the battle of cedar creek that sheridan was twenty miles away according to historical prose why he was twenty miles away various and conflicting reasons are given but on his good horse renzi he arrived in time to turn and defeat and rout into victory and hilarity renzi after the war died in eleventh state he was a black horse with a saddle gall and a flashing eye he passed away at his home in chicago at last in poverty while waiting for a pension applied for on the grounds of founder and lampers brought on by eating too heartily after the battle and while warm but in the line of duty the red river campaign under general banks was a joint naval and land expedition resulting in the capture of fort de russy march fourteenth after which april eighth the troops marching toward shreveport in very open order single file or holding one another's hands and singing john brown's body were attacked by general dick taylor and if washington had not been so far away and through a hostile country bull run would have had another rival but the boys rallied and next day repulsed the confederates after which they returned to new orleans where board was more reasonable general banks obtained quite a relief at this time he was relieved of his command august fifth commodore farragut captured mobile after a neat and attractive naval fight and on the twenty fourth and twenty fifth of december commodore porter and general butler started out to take fort fisher after two days bombardment butler decided that there were other forts to be had on better terms and returned afterwards general terry commanded the second expedition porter having remained on hand with his vessel to assist january fifteenth eighteen sixty five the most heroic fighting on both sides resulted and at last completely hemmed in the brave and battered garrison surrendered but no one who was there need blush to say so even today at the south at this time coffee was fifty dollars a pound and gloves were one hundred and fifty dollars a pair flour was forty dollars a barrel but you could get a barrel of currency for less than that money was plenty but what was needed seemed to be confidence running the blockade was not profitable at that time since over fifteen hundred head of confederate vessels were captured during the war the capture of fort fisher closed the last port of the south and left the confederacy no show with foreign powers or markets the alabama was an armed steamship and the most unpleasant feature of the war to the federal government especially as she had more sympathy and aid in england than was asked for or expected by the unionists however england has since repaid all this loss in various ways she has put from five to eight million dollars into cattle on the plains of the northwest where the skeletons of same may be found bleaching in the summer sun and i am personally acquainted with six americans now visiting england who can borrow enough in a year to make up all the losses sustained through the alabama and other neutral vessels 
Captain Sims commanded the Alabama, and off Cherbourg he sent a challenge to the Kearsarge commanded by Captain Winslow, who accepted it, and so worked his vessel that the Alabama had to move round him in a circle, while he filled her up with iron, lead, copper, tin, German silver, glass, nails, putty, paint, varnishes, and dye stuff. At the seventh rotation, the Alabama ran up the white flag and sunk with a low, mellow plunk. The crew was rescued by Captain Winslow and the English yacht Deerhound, the latter taking Sims and starting for England. This matter, however, was settled in after years. The care of the sick, the dying, and the dead in the Union armies was almost entirely under the eye of the merciful and charitable, loyal and loving members of the sanitary and Christian commissions, whose work and its memory kept green in the hearts of the survivors and their children will be monument enough for the coming centuries. In July 1864, the debt of the country was $2 billion and 20 cents. $2.90 in greenbacks would buy a reluctant gold dollar. Still, Abraham Lincoln was re-elected against George B. McClellan, the Democratic candidate, who carried only three states. This was endorsement enough for the policy of President Lincoln. Sherman's army of 60,000, after a month's rest at Savannah, started north to unite with Grant in the final blow. Quote, Before it was terror, behind it ashes. End quote. Columbia was captured February 17th and burned without Sherman's authority the night following. Charleston was evacuated the next day. Johnston was recalled to take command and opposed the march of Sherman, but was driven back after fierce engagements at Bentonville and Averysboro. On March 25th, Lee decided to attack Grant and, while the latter was busy, get out of Richmond and join Johnston. But when this battle, known as the attack on Fort Steadman, was over, Grant's hold was tighter than ever. Sheridan attacked Lee's rear with a heavy force, and at Five Forks, April 1st, the surprised garrison was defeated with 5,000 captured. The next day, the entire Union army advanced, and the line of Confederate entrenchments was broken. On the following day, Petersburg and Richmond were evacuated, but Mr. Davis was not there. He had gone away. Rather than meet General Grant and entertain him when there was no pie in the house, he and the Treasury had escaped from the haunts of man wishing to commune with nature for a while. He was captured at Irwinsville, Georgia, under peculiar and rather amusing circumstances. He was never punished, with the exception, perhaps, that he published a book and did not realize anything from it. Lee fled to the westward, but was pursued by the triumphant Federals, especially by Sheridan, whose cavalry hung on his flanks day and night. Food failed the fleeing foe, and the young shoots of trees for food, and the larger shoots of artillery between mills were too much for that proud army, so once so strong and confident. Let us not dwell on the particulars. As Sheridan planted his cavalry squarely across Lee's path of retreat, 
the worn but heroic tatters of a proud army prepared to sell themselves for a bloody ransom and go down fighting but grant had demanded their surrender and seeing back of the galling skirmishing cavalry solid walls of confident infantry the terms of surrender were accepted by general lee and april ninth the confederate army stacked its arms near appomattox courthouse the confederate war debt was never paid for some reason or other but the federal debt when it was feeling the best amounted to two billion eight hundred and forty four million dollars one million men lost their lives was it worth while in the midst of the general rejoicing president lincoln was assassinated by john wilkes booth at ford's theater april fourteenth the assassin was captured in a dying condition in a burning barn through a crack in the boarding of which he had been shot by a soldier named boston corbett he died with no sympathetic applause to soothe the dull cold ear of death west virginia was admitted to the union in eighteen sixty three and nevada in eighteen sixty four the following chapters will be devoted to more peaceful details while we cheerfully close the sorrowful pages in which we have confessed that with all our greatness as a nation we could not stay the tide of war end of chapter twenty eight chapter twenty nine too much liberty in places and not enough elsewhere thoughts on the late war who is the bigger ass the man who will not forgive and forget or the mawkish and moist-eyed sniveller who wants to do that all the time when patrick henry put his old cast-iron spectacles on the top of his head and whooped for liberty he did not know that some day we should have more of it than we know what to do with he little dreamed that the time would come when we should have more liberty than we could pay for when mr henry sawed the air and shouted for liberty or death i do not believe that he knew the time would come when liberty would stand on bedloe's island and yearn for rest and change of scene it seems to me that we have too much liberty in this country in some ways we have more liberty than we have money we guarantee that every man in america shall fill himself up of liberty at our expense and the less of an american he is the more liberty he can have should he desire to enjoy himself all he needs is a slight foreign accent and a willingness to mix up with politics as soon as he can get his baggage off the steamer the more i study american institutions the more i regret that i was not born a foreigner so that i could have something to say about the management of our great land if i could not be a foreigner i believe i should prefer to be a policeman or an indian not taxed i am often led to ask in the language of the poet is civilization a failure and is the caucasian played out almost every one can have a good deal of fun in america except the american he seems to be so busy paying his taxes that he has very little time to vote or to mingle in society's giddy whirl or to mix up with the nobility that is the reason why the alien who rides across the united states in the limited mail and writes a book about us before breakfast wonders why we are always in a hurry that also is the reason why we have to throw our meals into ourselves with such despatch and hardly have time to maintain a warm personal friendship with our families we do not care much for wealth 
but we must have freedom and freedom costs money we have advertised to furnish a bunch of freedom to every man woman and child who comes to our shores and we are going to deliver the goods whether we have any left for ourselves or not what would the great world beyond the seas say to us if some day the blue-eyed oriental with his heart full of love for our female seminaries and our old women's homes should land upon our coasts and crave freedom in carload lots but find that we were using all the liberty ourselves but what do we want of liberty anyhow what could we do with it if we had it it takes a man of leisure to enjoy liberty and we have no leisure whatever it is a good thing to keep in the house for the use of guests but we don't need it for ourselves therefore we have a statue of liberty enlightening the world because it shows that we keep liberty on tap winter and summer we want the whole broad world to remember that when it gets tired of oppression it can come here to america and oppress us we are used to it and we rather like it if we don't like it we can get on the steamer and go abroad where we may visit the effete monarchies and have a high old time the sight of the goddess of liberty standing there in new york harbor night and day bathing her feet in the rippling sea is a good thing it is first-rate it may also be productive of good in a direction that many have not thought of as she stands there day after day bathing her feet in the broad atlantic perhaps some moss-grown alien landing on our shore and moving toward the far west may fix the bright picture in his so-called mind and remembering how on his arrival in new york he saw liberty bathing her feet with impunity he may be led in after years to try it on himself more citizens and less voters will some day be adopted as the motto of the republic one reference to the late war and i will close i want to refer especially to the chronic reconciler who when war was declared was not involved in it but who now improves every opportunity especially near election time to get out a tired olive branch and make a tableau of himself he is worse than the man who cannot forgive or forget the growth of reconciliation between the north and the south is the slow growth of years and the work of generations when any man north or south in a public place takes occasion to talk in a mellow and mawkish way of the great love he now has for his old enemy watch him he is getting ready to ask a favor there is a beautiful poetic idea in the reunion of two contending and shattered elements of a great nation there is something beautifully pathetic in the picture of the north and south clasped in each other's arms and shedding a torrent of hot tears down each other's backs as it is done in a play but do you believe that the aged mothers on either side have learned to love the foe with much violence yet do you believe that the crippled veteran north or south now passionately loves the adversary who robbed him of his glorious youth made him a feeble ruin and mowed down his comrades with swift death do you believe that either warrior is so fickle that he has entirely deserted the cause for which he fought even the victor cannot ask that let the gentle finger of time undo 
so far as may be, the devastation wrought by the war, and let succeeding generations seek through natural methods to reunite the business and the traffic that were interrupted by the war. Let the South guarantee to the Northern investor security to himself and his investment, and he will not ask for the love which we read of in speeches, but do not expect and do not find in the South. Two warring parents on the verge of divorce have been saved the disgrace of separation and agreed to maintain their household for the sake of their children. Their love has been questioned by the world and their relations strained. Is it not bad taste for them to pose in public and make a cheap Romeo and Juliet tableau of themselves? Let time and merciful silence obliterate the scars of war and succeeding generations fostered by the smiles of national prosperity, soften the bitterness of the past, and mellow the memory of a mighty struggle in which each contending host called upon Almighty God to sustain the cause which it honestly believed to be just. Let us be contented during this generation with the assurance that geographically the Union has been preserved and that each contending warrior has once more taken up the peaceful struggle for bettering and beautifying the home so bravely fought for. End of chapter 29